0: realm. It was an agent from another kingdom. And so what this says to us is that we have now the spirit in us. So our spiritual warfare looks a little different. It is is spiritual warfare in quieting our own voices, in us hearing God through the flack of our own lives, through us aligning ourselves with God so that our kingdom is aligned with his kingdom, so to speak. So the spiritual warfare doesn't look the same as it does here in Daniel, but this paints a physical picture of the spiritual internal reality. It's that our spiritual warfare is, is in subduing our own desires and voices and aligning ourselves with uh, God. And, come and and getting past the fear, getting past the anxiety, getting past the anger or the rage or whatever it is that's besetting us, that's where the spiritual conflict happens today. But it hinders not God hearing us, but us hearing God. And us receiving his message and his voice. Now look what he says on down here. After verse 14, where he said, I've come to make you understand what will happen uh, in the end times. In verse 20, the last two verses of that chapter, he says, Then he said, Do you know why I have come unto you? Now I will return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, lo, also the prince of Greece. The prince of Greece shall come. And I will show you that which is noted in the scripture of truth. So he's saying, I'm not only going to have to fight the spiritual ruler of Iran, but I'm going to have to also fight the spiritual ruler of Greece. And what was going on in Greece at that time? This is about 500 years before Christ. You historians in here. What was going on in Greece at that time? They did. They were just coming into the ascendancy. The, The golden age of Greece was happening. The... The democracy was flourishing, or was beginning to flourish, um, the, um, the uh, art and uh, great thinking was coming onto the forefront, but it was the mythology that was being established. The Prince of Greece, very strong at that time. And he contended uh, against Daniel. Uh, go on over. Uh, to Matthew 17. This is where the father brings the son who has a demon and cast him into the fire and he froths at the mouth and he, uh, the father has brought the son to the disciples and they tried to cast him out. They had been given the power to cast out demons, but on this one they could not do it. And um, They come to Jesus after Jesus has cast out uh, this demon from this child, and they said, why could we not do that? And Jesus said, because of your unbelief, probably your fear would be my guess. Uh, They saw this manifestation, and it probably scared them. For I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seeds, you shall say to the mountain, remove hence and cast into yonder place, and it shall... Remove and nothing shall be impossible unto you. He said, However, verse 21 this kind does not go out but by prayer and fasting. What he's saying here is that there are different demonic agents with different power and different assignments. This demon possession made him appear to be not just mad but out of control, convulsing, some sort of seizure. Is what it looked like. But it was a very powerful one so that them just commanding the demon to come out did not work. That when we are dealing with spiritual warfare, there are some agents that carry more power and lock people down more, more strongly than others do. And it means that we have to be walking the walk as best we know how to do. It means we have to be having our focus on God as much as we can and not letting our focus divert over here and over there. Because we are not shored up when we are doing spiritual battle. If we are letting ourselves be diverted in several different directions and our own power diluted. You know, we are, we are a conduit. And if we have a lot of junk clogged up in the conduit, not a whole lot of water will get through. But if it's a cleared out, emptied vessel, that water can gush through. That power of the Holy Spirit can charge through. So we have to keep ourselves, if we're going to be serious about engaging in this kind of battle of prayer, to keep ourselves as best we know how to keep ourselves in in alignment with the Lord. Because he said some of these, it takes more than just speaking the word. It takes more than just praying the word. You've got to be in prayer and fasting about this. Christ cast him out. The implication there is that Christ's life was a fast and he constantly prayed without ceasing. And he asked us to enter into a prayer life in which I'm praying as I go my whole life and attitude and approach become a prayer. That's where we're supposed to head. If we're going to be empowered agents here, doing battle here and giving God a foothold here on contested earth. Um, (coughs) Go over to Acts 19. In Acts 19, we see this man named Simon We'll start with verse 13. Then certain of, King James says, the vagabond Jews, exorcists, uh, took upon them to call over them which had evil, to call over the ones who had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus. Because they had seen the disciples casting out demons in the name of Jesus. So they thought. Well, we can do this. We're exorcists. We'll do this in the name of Jesus. And so they began to speak the name of Jesus over the people who had evil spirits, saying, We adjure, adjure you, we, we command you by Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. And there were seven sons of one man named Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priest, which did this. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Now, this gives insight into all the times, especially in John, when Christ says, Ask anything in my name, and I will give it to you. Pray whatever you will in my name, and I will give it to you, or the Father will give it to you. They were speaking to evil spirits in the name of Jesus, and nothing happened. What does this say to us about what Jesus was meaning when he said, ask anything or pray anything in my name and the Father will give it to you? Pray in the will, in the authority, the will of Jesus. It's not just saying, I pray this in the name of Jesus, or agree with me and we will pray in the name of Jesus and it will be done. No, agree with God and pray in his will. And if it is in his will, whatever you ask in the the specter of his will, it will be done. This is proof that you don't just go up and say, in the name of Jesus I ask or tell or command or whatever this person to be healed. Jesus has to know us and he has has to have given us his word and his commission to do that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and, and Jesus said, you know, some of you will have cast out demons in my name and I will say I never knew you. That word is gnosko. I never had an, a heart relationship with you. Our heart has to be aligned and we have to be walking in him. And if I'm scattering out there living like the devil at times and then going to church, trying to repent, but I'm, I'm, I'm just not focused on God much, there's too much of me in, in the mix, and then I try to rise to the occasion to pray for something profound and powerful to happen in a person's life, there's going to be a lot of debris in my, in my uh, conduit, a lot of me in there. My artery is going to be clogged. And the blood flow is not going to get through. Yeah. Yeah, we have to be in alignment with him, praying directed by him. And when we do, it will be done. And then we have to stand on that until it is done. We have to stand watch until it is done. Until he releases us. Yes. Yes, exactly. Uh, we have to be serious about getting with him. You know, casual Christianity looks okay and sounds pretty good, but it's a form of godliness that carries very little power. Yes. Well, and that goes to James, you have not because you ask not. Sometimes it's important for a person to ask, and God is waiting for that. Depends upon the person and where they are with God and what they know of God. But we have to draw near to God sometimes before he will take the next step. Exactly. And he said he only does what he hears and sees the Father do. There we are. There we are. That's the template for us. Most of the, much of the time, we as Christians, instead of praying in faith, pray in presumption. We presume and call it faith. Because we haven't heard specifically from God along a certain line of how to pray. We just assume, okay, I'm going to go ahead and pray for their healing. Well, and we may do that until we we know, but we still need to keep hearing God on this because Jesus never scattershot. He waited to see and hear from the Father. And that's what this alignment of the will is about. That's what praying in his name and asking in his name is about. It's knowing him. And having heard his voice, we pray. We move. And, and so often, we just pray presuming and call it faith. And, and that's why our prayers don't, they seem ineffectual. They are often ineffectual. So we're looking here, back over here at Acts. The evil spirit didn't recognize this guy. So the evil spirits knew who Jesus was. We know that. Even the devils believe and tremble. They trembled because they truly knew who he was. They just didn't follow him. And the man in whom the evil spirit resided leapt on the seven and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. One man with the evil spirit in him attacked all seven and just demolished them. The word there is prevailed. Underline that word prevail. He dominated them. Here is another manifestation of an aspect of, of a demonic agent. He had great physical power in this person. There are varying degrees of demonic agents with varying degrees of power. This one had great physical power. Now, go over to James 5, just just after Hebrews. And just before 1 Peter. In James 5, verse 13, I'll start. Is there any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, And the Lord shall raise him up. 15 of uh, chapter 5. Confess your faults one to another, verse 16, and pray for one another that you may be healed. King James has a kind of convoluted way of saying this. I'll read it and then you can read to me what yours says. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. What does yours say? The powerful Okay, and what kind of prayer does it how does it describe the prayer? Is powerful and effective. Uh The idea here is a sort of a mix of the two, the fervent prayer, the intense prayer of a righteous person, one who is in alignment with God, one who's not in rebellion, out there doing their own thing, making up for it on Sunday morning, one who is doing as best they know, bringing their focus into the Lord and seeking to follow him, not perfectly, but one who's been made righteous by the blood of Christ and the submission of our will as much as we can to Him. This one says the prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to Okay. That's, that's a good way to understand it. Now, the King James uses the word avails. Um, the fervent prayer of a righteous person avails greatly. That word avails is the same word we have seen translated "prevails." So, what it's saying here is that this kind of fervent prayer of someone in alignment with God is prevailing prayer. And when that uh, in in uh, Acts nineteen, when that man possessed by the devil attacked the seven, he prevailed. He prevailed. When you see in uh, Revelation 12, there's war that breaks out in heaven in the spiritual realm. And Satan could not prevail against Michael, the archangel. He did not prevail. Same word as avails much. So the idea here, the context here is that in prayer, it's the context is spiritual warfare. Here's the exorcist trying to cast out this demon, and the demon, the spirit being, attacks them and prevails. Here in Revelation, it's spiritual warfare, in heaven breaks out, and Satan doesn't prevail there. And so the idea here of prevailing prayer is that we come at the spiritual demonic realm, the leaders and the rulers of the the spiritual realm, and we come against their authority. So the last part of what we're looking at, I don't know what time it is. Can somebody tell me what time it is? Oh, my gosh. I'll hurry. The last part of what we're looking at here, I call power, authority, and position. That prayer plugs into here. Turn to Matthew 10. You find this also in Luke 9, but it it just is a little just says it a little differently in Matthew 10. Turn to Matthew 10. <clears throat> this is where he is sending out his 12 apostles or disciples. Verse 1. They called unto him his uh, 12 disciples, and he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. That word for power there means not just power, but authority. Both power and authority. Now remember, in the spiritual realm, we wrestle against rulers, spiritual rulers who have authority over their kingdom, whatever that kingdom is. When someone has ceded authority from God to Satan, one of his agents can be assigned to sort of batter the believer in a certain area because we have ceded authority back. And that's why it's so hard to bring down strongholds because that's where Satan's authority has gotten established back in that soulish turf or in the mind of a believer. Certainly, these strongholds are in unbelievers. No question about that. But they can also attach and batter a believer because of our decisions to free will it back over because of our casualness, our laziness, our anger, our defiance, our rebellion. And if that happens long enough, Satan takes us up on it and he claims his authority right here. And we know he's done that when we realize that we don't have any control over what's going on here. I can't handle this. I can't conquer this. So he gave them authority, not just over uh, spirits and casting them out, but healing sickness. I don't understand that fully, but it's an authority issue. But Jesus gave them authority, therefore they could go and use the the name of Jesus to raise the dead, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, because he had given them authority. So what we need to look at here is if the Lord has told you to pray a certain way, that is Him giving you authority and power in that area. If I'm just assuming it, scatter shooting my prayers, hoping one lands, no. But if He has nudged you to pray for a person, nudged you to pray for a person along a certain line, He has given you the Rima word, the personal word of authority in this, in this area and you're praying in his name, under his authority. Turn over to John fifteen sixteen. You have not chosen me. Actually, I'm going to back up to 14. 13, he says, greater love has no man than this that he laid down his life for his friends. He said, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Henceforth, I don't call you servants anymore, for the servant does not know what his Lord does. But I've called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known to you. You have not chosen me. I've chosen you and ordained you, ordained you, given you authority that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it unto you. Our power in prayer to fight this fight hinges upon the power and the authority that he gives us and on our position with him. When one moves into a position of friendship, which we don't call that, he calls that, When one moves into a position of friendship, it accesses the power of the Father. He is saying, anything you ask in my name as a friend, my Father will give it to you. So it is power imparted to uh, to the believer, it is authority imparted to the believer, and it is also imparted as a result of a position of relationship with him so that the fervent prayers of a righteous person, a righteous friend, avails much. It accesses a whole different level of intercession. That's why our walk with him is so important. We see that um, there were other demonic agents that caused blindness and deafness, that caused a person to be mute, and then there were times when Christ healed people not because they were, it was a demon of blindness and deafness. So there, there are some manifestations of demons that manifest physically here in the Scripture but you can't do a blanket assessment because one blind person may simply be blind from something physical. One deaf person may be deaf from something physical here with Christ. One person, he stuck his fingers into his ears. Uh, another person, he, he blew into his ears. And another person, he cast out a demon. So it's important that you and I don't make blanket statements here uh, about how something universal is to look. It will never look universal. It will always be unique. But the idea of authority brings us into our home front again. Where you are in a position of authority, you can have prevailing prayer. I think that's what household salvation is about, which is one of those mysterious phrases, he and his household were saved, you know, Um, and you think, okay, is that just because they just were all along for the ride and, and, you know, the jailer was the only one who believed but his whole household came, or Lydia uh, was the only one that believed and her whole household came along? I mean, what? What does this mean? I think what it means is once there is a person who is in a position of authority in a family system believes there is there is a power and there is an authority that affects the whole family system and at some point those people will come in line in the rest of the family if you pray and if you are diligent in your intercession for them they will come into alignment. Uh, I've shared this story with some of you about my Aunt Helen. Um, you all remember the uh, comedy Maude? My Aunt Helen was a sort of modified Maud. Uh, very liberal, very contentious, very quick-witted and sharp-tongued, and I loved her to death. And um, I'll do this quickly because this is not my main point here. But I think my dad had prayed for Aunt Helen to become a Christian for years and years and years. My mother had prayed for her to become a Christian for years and years and years, and probably my grandmother had done it. But when Aunt Helen was about 75 to 78, somewhere in there, we always had her over for Thanksgiving whenever I would go home to visit Mom and Dad, and I went over to pick her up at the assisted living place. (coughs) And... um, all the time that she was there, I just kept thinking. I just got to talk to Aunt Helen about where she is with Jesus. So on the way home, I said, um, "Aunt Helen, I just, I, I just need to ask you something. Now, knowing that she's Maude now, okay? You know, a very aggressive and and strong-headed and stubborn she was. I said, I just need to. I, I'm just wondering where, how you feel about Jesus." She said, "So you're doing your Baptist thing, are you?" and I said no I'm doing it because I know that when I die I want to see you in heaven and I just want to make sure where you are with him she said there was this long silence and she said where I am with God if I am with God me and my relationship with God if I have a relationship with God is none of your business and uh, (laughs) and she went on from there for a while and so I, I said, "Well, I love you, and I just wanted to know." So, and I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so the next Thanksgiving, uh, Tiffany is at this time probably um, I don't know, 19, 18, 17, somewhere in there, and we're getting ready to go get Aunt Helen, and she said, "You know, do you know where Aunt Helen is with the Lord?" And I said, well, I don't think you need to go there, honey. She said, no, I need to ask her because I'm just concerned that she's going to die soon and, and I just need to know where she is with the Lord. And I said, Tiffany, I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she said, well, I think I'm going to. Well, I said, just be prepared for an answer that you may not like. And um, so I went to get her at the, at the assistant living and we have uh, the Thanksgiving meal and we sit down to watch the Cowboys play. And Tiffany goes over there and sits by her on the sofa. And, I, and then just out of the blue, with no preparation, no easing into the conversation, <laughs> Tiffany says, "And how, I need to know how you feel about Jesus <laughs> in the middle of the cowboy game. And uh, I'm thinking, ooh, I'm cringing. And um, she said, no, she said, I need to know what you think about God. And she said, well, God I'm not sure about. He kind of scares me, but oh, his son Jesus, I love Jesus. She said he just sits on a crooked tree and listens to me. Jesus, I love. I thought <laughs> she hadn't heard a preacher. She hadn't had anyone visit her and witness to her, but somewhere between one year and the next, he got through sitting on a crooked tree, listening to her. I think that there is an authority sphere that families that are family systems. If there is a parent, uh, a father first, but a, a mother too in the home, that prays, that I believe it may be on their deathbed because Aunt Helen died two years later, and my dad was so concerned. I had told Dad about this, but he'd forgotten. And so when Aunt Helen died, I said, Dad, how are you doing with Aunt Helen's death? He said, I just don't know if she's in heaven or not. And I was able to tell him the story, and he said, he started crying. He said, I'm so relieved to know this. I don't think people come in on somebody else's skirt into heaven through household salvation, but I think there is an authority sphere of the kingdom that when we pray in our position of authority in our family, it reaches our loved ones whether they want it or not in a sense. It gets them to a place where they do want it, and it brings them home. And uh, a few years after Sam died... uh, a couple of years after Sam died, my son, Chad, moved to uh, Colorado. And uh, he'd been there several months, and he calls me one night around Thanksgiving. He said, Mom, I need you to pray for me. And I said, yeah, and I will. He didn't ask that very often. So when, you know, he's asking me to pray for him, I think, oh, okay. And my antenna go up, and uh, he said, I really, I need your prayers. He said, I I don't know who I am. And I've got some pretty heavy duty decisions to make. And I just need your prayers. And he said, I've thought about coming home, but I can't come home until uh, January or February because where I work needs me through Christmas. And uh, so I get off the phone and I start praying. And the next night, I'm in a prayer group. Actually, Jane, I think maybe you were in it with me and Becky. And uh, we're praying for uh, family and people. And I start praying for Chad. And I suddenly realize what he's dealing with. And I realize how utterly life changing and catastrophic it would be for him if he. It was like God showed it to me, what was going on. And. I'm praying for him one way and then as he shows it to me I realize in that instance and this is from God because I had never thought about this before that I was in a position of household authority. Sam had died and I was God's agent and I was in authority over spiritually over the household. And in that moment of praying I felt this bubble well up in me of the Holy Spirit that almost exploded. And I said, Satan, you will not have my son. You will not have him. He is God's, and you will not have him. And I pray that you be bound right now in the name of Jesus. I'd never prayed like that before. I don't know if you remember that. I don't know if you're there. I was overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit. And I never directly address Satan like that when I'm praying for other people because I'm not, he's not here. But in the authority arena, you directly address Satan because he's in your kingdom turf. If he's not in your kingdom turf, you pray that the Lord rebukes Satan, like Michael the Archangel did. You pray that the Lord binds Satan for someone else out there. But if that person for whom you're praying is in your household authority and you are walking with the Lord, you command directly, he will not have them. Will not. And then you pray until the prayer is answered. You pray until Satan has his neck pinned to the turf and made blind. And so, two days later, Chad calls me. No, I call him. I call him. And I said, I said Chad, you know, you don't have to stay there till January, February. You could come on home. He said, well, Mom, I don't know. I'll think about it. Two days later, he said, Mom, I've told him I'm coming home. I've sent, uh, tendered my resignation. And, uh... Would it be okay for me to come home and stay with you? And, uh, and he did. And when he came home, he told me what had been going on, and it was exactly what I knew in that moment of prayer. And he said, Mom, I don't know who I am, but I don't need to be up there to find out. And so three or four months later, he came to me, and he said, I know who I am now, and I'm not what I thought I was becoming. I know who I am. Um, authority is huge I don't fully understand it but I do know when the centurion and we'll close with this in Matthew 8 came to Christ Uh, in verse 5 Jesus entered Capernaum and there he met a centurion <clears throat> beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lies at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said, I will come to heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and the, my servant shall be healed, for I am a man under authority." having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said that he had uh, not found uh, so great a faith anywhere in Israel. What he's saying here is that when we have been given authority, when Christ Christ had the authority over the demons that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. He could just speak his command and the demonic realm obeyed. The demonic realm in the area of the palsy, evidently. When you are in a position of authority that has either been Deeded to you, granted to you by Christ's own guidance or granted to you by your position. You can pray in the power of that authority and stand on it and continue to pray it and it will be accomplished. But you must persevere in it And not give up too soon because Satan never will give up early. He will give up only when he must. And it's up to you and me to stand there after we've done all. And be God's partner and his agent. Respond to his nudges. And pray with power and authority when he has given it to us. Knowing that his will be done. Here on earth, as it is in heaven, as you and I yield to him. It can change lives and it can change families. Authority is everything. Praying in his authority and his name is everything. Let's pray. Lord, uh, the more I pray, the less I know. The more I pray, the more I don't know, but just a thimbleful. I ask that you teach us all afresh every day how to pray. Teach us all whose we are. Give us hearts that want to know how we are to be and to live. And give us a heart that hungers after you. Thank you for all who have come here to stay. I ask that your words would go with them and lodge in their minds.